Titus. We're in the book of Titus. We've been in here a couple weeks and we have basically gotten through the greeting by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who the letter is addressed to. He is the man on the scene on the island of Crete. Paul has left him there, as we're going to see. But in his greeting, he has some uh, introductory words that really are pretty long for the length of the book in total. And he has really four verses that are one long run-on sentence. And we've been tracking through that, and here's how we broke it down. I kind of gave you a broad brushstroke through verses 1 through 4 of Titus 1, and here's what they were. We looked at the man who Paul says he was, in his own words, he was an apostle and a bondservant. He was a slave and he was a mouthpiece of God. Not his own message, but God's message. He would do whatever God wanted him to do. He was sold into bondage to his master, who was God. That's the man. Then we looked at his mission there, the second half of verse 1, for the faith of those elect of God or chosen of God. That's evangelism. That Paul would spend his life Catch this now. He would spend his life on the faith of those God is calling out of the darkness. Not only that, he says, the knowledge of the spend his life in evangelism and discipleship. He's going to take those who come to faith in Christ and he's going to raise them up in the full knowledge of the truth. Meaning, he's not going to leave them as spiritual babes. He's going to grow them up in the word so that their lives change. That's what it means when it says Uh, which is according to godliness, that there will be evidence in their life. Evangelism, discipleship, shows itself in life, in godliness. And then in verse 2, remember what he does? The man, the mission, then I showed you his motive. What motivated Paul to give up his whole life for evangelism and discipleship? He said it was this eternal perspective in the hope of the eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time, Manifested even his word that from eternity past to eternity future, God has kept his word. He did what he said he was going to do before the foundations of this world. Sin didn't surprise him. None of this surprised him. He carried out his perfect plan throughout humanity. It unfolded just as he planned it. And he was faithful to his word. And Paul said, looking at the faithfulness of God from eternity to eternity, that motivates me to give up everything, every aspiration, every goal that I might have for myself personally, I give it up. And that motivated him to evangelism, discipleship, to grow people up in the faith. He gave his whole life up for it. The man, the mission, the motivation, I briefly last week as we uh, finished up, I didn't get time to show you in detail, that I have to proclaim it. I have to share it. I have to herald it out to the rest of the world. That's my marching orders, Paul says. And then in five, uh, four, I briefly alluded to Paul the mentor, that he has this, this young man that he's grabbed, that Paul's not a lone ranger out there, that he understands that God is doing this thing in a community and that his job is to take young men, take young women, and raise them up to the level of maturity where they can serve and they can multiply and they can do what Paul does. So he says to Titus, my true child, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Well, that's, that's the greeting. That's the brief brushstroke, if you will, of the greeting. And if the greeting was sort of a snapshot of what a believer should be, as, as exampled in the life of Paul, if that greeting, one through four, is a snapshot of what an individual believer should look like 
and what their life should look like. The rest of this letter, the body, the content of the letter to Titus is a snapshot of what the entire church should look like. It's a snapshot of ecclesiology. That's the $5 seminary word, which means the study of the church. How does the church set itself up to accomplish the goal? To become individuals in a group that turn out looking like the Apostle Paul, sold into slavery, spokesmen, messengers for God, about evangelism, discipleship, growing people up in godliness, motivated by the faithful God from eternity past to eternity future, that we are part of this eternal plan that God is working that we might even find a younger man or a younger woman and raise them up to do the same thing. Greetings, a snapshot of the individual disciple. The rest of this book, it's a snapshot of ecclesiology. It's a snapshot of what the church should look like. And here's why this is important. Uh, the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to Titus on the island of Crete. The island of Crete, let me tell you, it, it was no picnic. It was no... Um, summer camp for Titus. This was a hard place to start a church. I mean, this guy's starting a church. He's going out there and he's raising up leaders on this island of Crete, which is known for how hard, how filthy, how rank, how materialistic these Cretans are. You're going to find out more about it later in the book. It's like starting a church in San Francisco or in, in the heart of Miami where no one, or in France, where the overall theme, the overall heart of the people tends to be not for God. It tends to be about me. It tends to be about my betterment. It tends to be about self. It tends to be about uh, whatever you want to believe in goes. And this is where Titus is. We're lucky to have the book of Titus to get this snapshot of ecclesiology. Let me tell you what uh, this next section and really what this entire book is about. If... Um, if you were in the military and the Bible, uh, depending on what era you're in, if you want to expand your territory, all right, and you're fighting for that military and you send in troops and you take this, this area, you take this hill, you take this mountain, you take this desert, you take this area, right, and you go through there and you win that battle before you go on to the next area, before you press the frontier even further. You following me? What do you have to do before you leave that area? What do we leave in our wake once we conquest in an area? We leave a fort, right? That's where you get Fort Worth, Fort Wayne, Fort uh, Maddox, Fort Knox, Fort all, Forts. We set up forts where we make conquests and then we can press on even further. And when these forts are set up, they're hubs to hold down that territory lest the enemy come back in and take it back. That's what Titus is sent for. The Apostle Paul goes to Crete and he spends a little bit of time there and there are churches being established. There are forts planted. He expands the kingdom to this island and he sets up these forts but before he is able to put leadership in place, he has to go. And so he says to Titus, I've got some work for you still to do. And he's going to give Titus this letter and then explain exactly where to go next. We need forts. And where we have forts, we need men. We need men to hold down those forts, if you will. Listen to what Samuel Brangle, an outstanding leader and great scholar, uh, spiritual giant, 
a longtime servant of the Salvation Army. Listen to what he said in regards to these leaders ended the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says about the quality of these men. Leadership is not won by promotion in the church, but by many prayers and tears. It is attained by confessions of sin and much heart searching and humbleness before God. By self-surrender, a courageous sacrifice of every idol, a bold deathness, uncompromising and uncomplaining embracing of the cross, and by an eternal, unfaltering look unto Jesus crucified. It is not gained by seeking greater things for ourselves, but rather, like Paul, by counting those things that are gained to us as loss for Christ. That is a great price, but it must be unflinchingly paid by him who would be not merely a nominal, but a real spiritual leader of men, a leader whose power is recognized and felt in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Paul was a missionary. You can't have a correct paradigm of missiology if you don't have an understanding of ecclesiology. If you're going to send men and women out to expand the kingdom of God, a fort has to follow them. And men to man that fort, to hold the wall, to ward off the wolves, men in those fort have to be raised up. And they have to be men of certain. Left you in Crete, talking to Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete. What reason? He's going to tell us here. That you would set in order. That word set in order, it literally means to correct or to make straight or to mend. It's a, it's a, um, uh, it's a physician's word. It's a picture where a doctor would take a broken bone and he would mend it and he would make it straight. He says, Titus, I've left you there to be a physician of sorts, to mend some things, to set some things in order. Now, what are those things? He says, to set those things in order that remain. Again, I told you that Paul uh, most likely spent some time on the island of Crete after one of his Roman captivities and um, didn't get to stay there long. But there's indications from the book of Acts that there were believers from the time of uh, Pentecost who went back to the island of Crete and churches started popping up on the island of Crete. Paul spent some time there, tried to pour some uh, of that truth that he talked about in verse 1. He tried to pour some of that truth into them to raise them up in godliness, but he didn't get to stay there very long. And so he says to Titus, Titus, I'm going to leave you here. Trusted child, common faith. Titus, you've got to stay, my man. You've got to stay here and you've got to do some things. You've got to mend some things. You've got to set some things straight. What things? Things that remain. Things that the Apostle Paul did not have time to do. Namely, to raise up the men in the forts that Paul established. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order... Check it out. Look at what he says in the next phrase. Here's what you do. Appoint elders. Step one. Appoint elders... Step one, ordain men, literally older men. It's a picture of a guy who's got wisdom, who's got spiritual character and maturity, not necessarily of age, but of spiritual maturity and worth. It's a mark of a man who can be a manager, all right? 
And he's going to use several different words for this. But he says, get these guys and ordain them. Put them in authority. Lay hands on them and raise them up from within to be the leaders in these forts. Now keep going here. Where is he supposed to do it? In every city, it says. Uh, On the island of Crete, Homer said at one point that uh, he called the island of Crete the the island of a hundred cities. There were many, many cities on the island of Crete. Many cities had uh, several different... um, Well, the cities were spread out is what I'm trying to say. And so they had their own sort of autonomous areas and autonomous churches. And believers spread into each of these areas and churches started popping up. These forts of Christianity started popping up. And the Apostle Paul says here, mend this thing, mend these forts. Here's how you do it. You set things in order by raising up and ordaining elders, individual bodies of believers in these cities, and there were many, and he was to watch men, to find men who would meet the qualifications that Paul's going to give us in just a few moments. But he was to do it in every city. That's kind of an odd thing. Why not just find a group of elders and let them all rule the whole island? Let them all govern and oversee the church on Crete. He says, no, go into every individual city and raise them up. Preston, I got to thinking, um, you know, if Paul just had via satellite, he wouldn't have had to worry about this. He could have just via satellited himself from Rome to all the different cities in the island of Crete. I'm sorry, I'm just venting a little bit here. Um, Keep going here before I get too far off track. Raise up elders, appoint elders in every city. And look at what he says here at the end. As I directed you. Titus wasn't about his own plan here, folks. Titus was carrying out orders from his authorities. Paul lends his authority to Titus here when he says, As I have directed you. This letter was most likely circulated to all the churches on the island of Crete. So that not only did Paul send this letter to Titus himself, but Paul wanted every church to see I've given this authority to Titus. Titus is not just coming in there and setting these men up as overseers by his own will and his own, on his own whims. He's coming and doing exactly what I've told him, just as I have directed you. It also alludes to the fact that Titus was supposed to stick to the plan. He was supposed to stick to the plan. He wasn't supposed to just grab whoever he wanted to grab and put them in the place of leadership. Can I give you a proverb right here? I use this proverb all the time. It says, like an archer who wounds... Did you catch that? Like an archer who wounds everyone. It's a picture of an archer, which is a common form of uh, artillery in these days. It's a picture of an archer just pulling back, taking no aim, and just shooting an arrow up in the air and letting it fall where it may. And he says, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get injured if that's the case. And he says, just like that, that's the same thing as when you hire a guy... It just happens along the way. You know what my translation of it is? Don't just grab the first idiot off the street and place him in leadership in the church. Stick to the plan, Titus, just as I've directed you. And he's going to unfold what the plan is. Let me show you here in just a moment. From the beginning, um, Cornerstone has been very intentional on how it has been managed and governed in its leadership. Uh, and this is very difficult, especially for church plants. Church plants are often susceptible to gaps in leadership. 
Church plants are often susceptible to not having uh, these men in the early years. We've been fortunate. Let me tell you why. From the very start, Cornerstone has set up what we called an advisory team or an advisory board. It was made up of all the supporting churches or entities that decided that we were worth sending out. One of the reasons we did it is because we didn't want to be out here like Lone Rangers, out on our own. We wanted to have some credibility. We wanted people to see, here's who's behind us. We've got this association by it. And raise up men from within. And not to just take the first guy who walks by, which is, frankly, a tendency. It's a, it's a temptation of many church plants to just grab the first guy who appears to be spiritually mature, to just grab the first person who appears to have some sort of spiritual wisdom, some sort of spiritual foundation, and plug him into leadership. Because in a church plant, in a new church like ours, you've got all kinds of gaps, right? And so it's easy to just grab the first guy that comes by and plug him in. Well, we were fortunate that all of our supporting churches, we let them form this board. And we would meet with them on a regular basis, and we would run everything by them, and they would be the elders. They would be the overseers. They would be what Paul talks about here until we found men within. Uh, from the start, however, we were praying for and watching earnestly uh, for those men in our church who would, uh, who would raise themselves to the occasion. And uh, today I want to introduce you to four of these men who, um, according to our, uh, our Constitution and our bylaws, it is uh, appropriate for us to set these men before the congregation at large. And uh, as our Constitution states, that we're going to give you a month to uh, communicate back to myself if there is anything that you find or know about in these men li- men's lives that would disqualify them from fulfilling this role. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you in just a little bit, we're going to finish here in Titus, you're going to find out exactly what some of those qualifications are, okay? But uh, right now, uh, I'm going to have these guys come up here, and I'm going to embarrass them a little bit. Uh, Jack, come on up. Jack Kemp, Radley King, put them up here. They don't have to say anything, but I just want you to see their face. We're going to put a mugshot in the paper of them and advertise these men have accepted the call of candidacy to uh, become elders in the church at Cornerstone. And uh, let me tell you what the process is right now. I've been speaking with these men for some time and uh, communicating to them what the qualifications of an elder of our church would be. I've asked them to look at the qualifications of an elder in the Bible. I've given them the passages to go to and look at. I've given them lists of those qualifications. Uh, By the way, they're in our Constitution and bylaws as well, so you can... You're free to see all of those. Uh, And I've asked them to spend time in prayer. I've talked to them about the seriousness of this role. I've talked to them about the responsibility. I've talked about the weight of it. I've talked to them about the priorities of this. And uh, I've basically tried to scare them out of this job. I've given them every reason to quit that I could find. But thus far, they've said they're in this. And here's the deal. You have the next month to return word to myself via email, via phone call, come by and make an appointment, whatever it is, if there is anything that you have against these men that would, in your mind, disqualify them from being an elder in this church, this is your opportunity to do that. This is where we get feedback from the church. You have one month to prayerfully, prayerfully ask God to reveal to you you have to be willing to put your name on it. Okay? Fair enough? No anonymous claims. All right? 
if there is a claim against one of these guys, then I'm going to take it. I'm going to form a little team of our membership, and we're going to review it, and we're going to go to these men, and we're going to talk to them about it, and we're going to go from there. All right? If it's true, then they have an opportunity to step down. If the group that is formed believes that it's true enough that uh, we feel like they can't take any further steps in this candidacy program, then we'll ask them to back out. That's how it's going to work. All right? These men are still in the process. Over the next couple months, uh, over the next month specifically, we're going through doctrine. We're going through priorities. We're going through some of the heavy stuff to get them prepared. They're in training mode. They're in boot camp mode right now. Okay? So that one month from now, if, uh, if all is still well, they're going to put these guys back up here in front of you, and we're going to ordain them. We're going to raise up men from within that the Spirit has said these men can fulfill the job. All right? And we're going to bring them back up here in one month if all goes well. And we're going to present them to you as uh, really the initial elders of our church. Okay? All right, guys, you can sit down. Let's see. Thank you. <clears throat> so your part, your part is to pray for these men. Your part is to communicate anything that you feel needs to be communicated back to myself uh, about these men. And uh, let me say this, uh, good or bad. I would love to get some emails from you uh, telling me why these men should be elders in this church. Okay? I'd love to have those emails. Just overwhelm my email box. How will you know if these men are qualified? Go back to Titus. How will you know if these men are qualified? What's that clock say, Rusty? Kind of tilt it there for me. It says, I'm way wide. For this reason I left you in creed that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I have directed you. Namely, here we go. If any man is above reproach, if any. Paul assumes in his language here, I don't have time to unpack it for you, but in the Greek language when Paul says if, it's an assumption that Paul, having been on this island, he's saying if there are men, and I'm sure there are, Paul has most likely met some of them. He most likely has some men in mind. He says, if there are any men who are above reproach, and I'm sure there are, Titus. Uh, he also here, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, he uh, clearly indicates that these are to be men. Uh, Paul means just that. That's another message for another day. Paul assumes in the book of Titus that you have an understanding of this already. He goes into it in more detail in 1 Timothy. And uh, if we were in 1 Timothy, I'd go into more detail. But that is another sermon for another day. I'll just assume, uh, as Paul does here, that you understand why it is that a man be called as an elder. Let me say this, uh, just for those of you who need a word of balance here. God has given women a different role in the church. Okay, God has given women a different role in the church. Men and women are equal in spiritual privilege. Capacity, blessedness, and promise. Amen? Both are able to serve the Lord effectively, but the responsibility of overseeing a church is limited to men. If any man is above reproach, and here's the, here's the uh, first characteristic we have here of this individual. The idea here of being above reproach is an idea of, uh, and this is important, it's an idea of complete blamelessness. Complete Blamelessness. To be above reproach means that no one could bring a reproach to your name. No charge, no charge can be brought against this man. Not just that he is innocent in his life, but this phrase here connotates the idea that it is, he is such a man that not even a charge 
can be brought against him. You see the difference? Not is he just free of guilt, but is he free of the charge that would allude to guilt? More than just guilt-free, he must be accusation-free. O.J., Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, these guys may be innocent. They may be innocent, but they're not free of accusation. And if they were standing up for the eldership, we'd have to say, guys, there's too much baggage. There's too much accusation even, even if you're innocent. There's so much accusation that it might taint, it might slow the work of the kingdom. There's too much cloudiness around these men to put them in leadership. Literally, this phrase that Paul uses means that nothing can lay hold of you. It's a picture Paul paints here that Satan has nothing to grab hold of in this man's life. You're following this guy? Wow. Nothing that can be laid hold of in this man's believing life that Satan could use against him, Satan could use against his family, and Satan could use against the church at large. Above reproach. Let me point out one thing. Nowhere in any of Paul's writings on this subject will you find a list of qualifications. Listen now. Nowhere in Paul's writings on this subject will you find a list of qualifications that emphasize or glorify a man's personal or individual talents. It's not about that. Instead, we find an overwhelming emphasis on the necessary character traits. Listen to what John MacArthur has to say about the qualifications for an elder, that he be above reproach. God does not call all elders to be entrepreneurs. Men who begin ministries and build them up. Nor does he call all elders to be producers, men who accomplish a great amount of work in the church. And although these are worthy things, that's not who he's calling. Neither does he call all of them to be managers, adept at mobilizing others in the Lord's service, although that too is a worthy thing. The Lord does, however, call all elders to be godly leaders, men who by their exemplary lives, as well as by their sound teaching and preaching, set a pattern of virtue and devotion to the Lord told this group of men was that I, I appreciate your talents I appreciate your giftedness I appreciate your abilities I appreciate uh, your business savvy I appreciate how you'll be able to help us uh, guide our church financially I appreciate all those things but more than anything I'm concerned with your spiritual life and walk I'm concerned that you are a man that looks like the Apostle Paul that looks like the model that the Bible sets up not that you are a great entrepreneur not that you're successful in this life and so because you're successful in business you'll be successful as an elder that you could run this business well that's a good quality to have but that's not primary that's not why we pick these men we pick these men can I tell you the first thing I look for in these men first thing I look for in these men is that they're willing to get their hands dirty and do things that um, uh, really anybody could do. They're willing to serve. They're willing to do the menial. They're willing to do the things without ever being recognized. And not just once, because that can be intentional. But over and over and over and over, we see in these men's lives that they serve, that they're obedient, that they're humble. 
that they'll do whatever is asked of them. That's the first thing I look for in these men. All the, ex- all the rest is just extra. Well, next week, let me close here because we're way out of time. Next week, we'll get to the next characteristic. What does it mean to be the husband of one wife? What does it mean to be the husband of one wife? What does it mean to have children that believe? We're going to unpack those things next week and the rest of the characteristics. Let me give you a final thought as we wrap this up. You may be sitting here this morning and saying, um, well, I'm not, I'm not in the elder program. That's not my deal. That's not, that's not who, who I'm ever going to be. I don't have any desire for that, and that's a qualification. And so, yeah, this message isn't for me, and this next message isn't for me, apart from the fact that I'm been asked to evaluate these men and to give my opinion upon them. Um, this really has no application to me. Let me say this. The qualifications set forth in Scripture for these men to be qualified as leaders are high. And the reason they're so high, this is very simple, is because they are to be models and examples for the rest of us. So follow the logic here. They hold a high standard and they model and they are an example so that we do what? We imitate them. Paul charged Timothy that in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, he was to show himself as an example to those who believe. Don't be fooled into thinking that elders and pastors and overseers, these are the guys who have to measure up to these criteria, and the rest of us, we get away with it. We can live somewhere down here. No, the goal of this thing is that we raise up some men, we put some men in front of you that are being so successful at these spiritual qualifications that it encourages you to raise your level. Amen? That's the goal. That's the goal. And ultimately,